0: The holiday season is here, and a lot of us are trying to make sense of a very challenging, for some of us a traumatizing year 2020, in preparation for the new year. This week, and to hopefully bring you some appeasement and some warmth at this time where we'd all rather be with our family and friends celebrating rather than being locked down, I am sharing with you a bonus episode where we're going a little deeper into how we are feeling, and into practices and habits that can help us enter 2021 with a better outlook on what's to come.
1: We're in the middle of a pandemic. You're not expected to be more productive or as productive as you used to be, because inherently our mind is half tuned in to what we need to do and half caught in this fear cycle of how does this end? What does this look like? What if I get COVID? What if a family member gets COVID? Like all of these questions are very real for people. We're all doing the best we can. I don't believe we get up in the morning and say, I'm gonna try my worst today. I think we all say we're gonna try our best. And some days our best means, you know, making the bed and that's it. That's all you get through.
0: Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD. This week with me, I have Megan Kirk-Chang. Megan is a PhD candidate and clinician scientist specializing in health behavior change, trauma psychophysiology, and cognitive neuroscience. As part of her doctoral research, Megan developed the first registered clinical trial in Canada investigating the effectiveness of an online mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral intervention for adults diagnosed with PTSD. Megan has worked as mental health coach with the Center for Addiction and Mental Health and University Health Network in Toronto. She is a certified meditation and yoga teacher on the Insight Timer app too. Megan also runs a public Twitter account with another colleague called Mindful Academics and also a personal account on Instagram called My Trauma Coach. Welcome to Papa PhD, Megan.
1: Oh, thank you so much david it's i've been looking forward to this for a few weeks now and it's really great to to be here with you
0: same here and uh, yeah I, i've you know i've thought of having you on papa hd uh for a while and now it it's it was it was possible and I'm super happy that that you have the time and uh, and uh, uh the the you know and to, to give me the opportunity to ask you some questions uh about not only what you do, not only what you study, but also about uh, your insights about this whole COVID uh, thing that we, as a community, as a, you know, as as the human race, have been living through in these last few months, which uh, have has had impacts at different levels of society, be it personally, uh, but also in institutions and in even even governments.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, I really appreciate. Having dialogue around this, because I think when you really think about it, we're more isolated right now than ever before with all these different parameters and social distancing measures. But never before like this in history have we also collectively been going through the exact same thing across Mm -hmm. the globe. So it's kind of this interesting um, experience where we're more alone, yet we're more connected than Mm -hmm. ever before. Um, So it's been, you know, being a fellow Canadian like yourself, it's been interesting to hear the messaging and see some of the parameters in place regarding social distancing measures and protective equipment. But it's been really curious for me to think about what's the long term mental health Mm -hmm. impact of what's going on, so I'm grateful that we can we can have some dialogue
0: around that. Yeah, and uh, just to give some context to to the listener, we are recording this a couple of weeks before Christmas 2020, <laughs> and uh, right now, uh, depending on where you are uh, in Canada, here in Quebec, we have just been told that uh, no, we will not be able to meet, you no, know, to have our family come to have uh Christmas supper with us or, or you know whatever there's gonna be no gatherings because the covid numbers are not flattening and and uh, you know things are are getting a little bit worse day by day and um, Christmas uh, he, here and in Europe too uh, I know in the states in the states Thanksgiving is maybe the big holiday the big family holiday uh in my experience coming I come from Portugal originally. Christmas has been one of those dates where of course you are going to meet a bunch of your family and you know see see grandparents see cousins etc cetera, etc cetera. and um, it's not happening this year and yeah. as you know that's not happening this year but there's also other things not happening this year. Maybe share can you share a little bit about what's happening with you, with you? You were supposed to ha- to have finished your PhD at yeah, this time, right?
1: Yeah, exactly and you know, thank you for sharing that and and we're similar. I live just north of Toronto and we're we're just on the brink. We're about to probably hear that we're going into the red or gray zone which is a new uh parameter around limitations. Mm-hmm. When you're in the red or gray zone, you're in lockdown. And same kind of idea. Gatherings are limited to just your health, your household. Um, no restaurants no you know gatherings externally Mm -hmm. and i just think about all the wonderful things that happen at this time of year regardless of your religious background or your beliefs there's so many things in december for families and communities to come together and i you know my heart really does feel a sense of sadness over how many events um, are canceled this year how many things aren't running but to speak more in relation to academics, mm-hmm. I'm in my, my final, my never-ending final year of my PhD. And, you know, I was looking at a defense date about a week ago that was sort of the plan to be completed before the end of 2020. And, you know, rightfully so, academic institutions across Canada are all virtual and locked down. So, you know, back in April, a large portion of my data was caught up in our lab at Mm -hmm. York University, and and I wasn't able to access it. So yeah, talk about having to um, really come to terms with the reality that I won't be defending. And um, I've had to extend and delay uh, getting to the defense date by, you know, six months. So Mm -hmm. it's uh it's not ideal, but really having to practice that it is what it is mentality and how do I keep myself engaged and motivated, um, despite a bit of a letdown, uh, with my own kind of timeline. So yeah, Mm -hmm. interesting.
0: Yeah. And it's funny, you know, in the conversations we had before the interview, one of the things that that you mentioned to me and that that kind of was a, a shock in a way because I hadn't Thought of it, and often it has to do with words, right? With the terminology we use. You talked about trauma, and and I, we also talked about it in your intro. But trauma related to this whole, this whole uh, question of, of having all these limitations to your usual life, to how you can move, to where you can go, to who you can meet, and um, you know, I, I have you know kind of a busy family life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm lucky enough to to have some in my routine, some moments, uh, where, where, you know, where I practice either mindfulness or meditation, depending on how, how you can, you want to call it. But, uh, it's, it's true that one of the things, if I, if I imagine that right now, I was a young, you know, uh, almost graduate, uh, PhD, you know, uh, someone finishing my PhD thinking, okay, I'm going into the, the workforce soon, or I'm going to go to my postdoc. And now, Things are frozen. Mm-hmm. It is true that this can be traumatic in a way, and and that people can actually be living through fear, through through uh, anxiety to a certain extent uh, uh, that can be quite um, distressing. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't thought of it in that way, uh, uh, you know. And again, it was the word trauma that kind of jarred me. And I, I'd love, I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about that and maybe you know for the listeners that are, for the listeners out there who might be f- having these feelings of fear and or anxiety maybe talk a little bit about where these feelings are coming from and how they can maybe distance them themselves from the feelings and and feel a little bit more in control at this time because that's mm-hmm. we don't feel in control right now right
1: for sure and you know with my my research i i'm clinical researcher, I investigate the impact of trauma of any kind on our neurophysiology. So what shows up in our brain and our body when we've gone through um, a very challenging, life-altering event. And one of the things I'm really passionate about is deconstructing this idea of what does trauma mean? We typically in society have based our understanding of trauma on war veterans and sexual assault survivors. And those are two very classic, well-known trauma exposures and very grateful that we've gotten this knowledge. But when when we can look at what is the objective impact of trauma on our body, now we can start to include a lot more experiences. And so I'm a big advocate for people who have gone through You know, microaggressions on a daily basis or frequent harassment and bullying. That may not be something that stands out right away as a quote unquote trauma, but over time, that repetitive exposure shows up in your physiology no differently than more extreme uh, trauma events. We can include people who have gone through medical procedures that are invasive. You know, we typically are expected to think that these procedures are helping us, they're saving us, but we forget that that's inherently traumatic when there's an uncertainty of the outcome. Mm -hmm. We can look at birth stress, we can look at racialized trauma, we can look at the impact of the pandemic even. So I really like to advocate this understanding of what happens in our physiology when we've experienced trauma. And so you're right, we did talk about this idea of collective trauma. And what I mean by that is we are exposed every single minute of the day right now to very scary news. The numbers are increasing across the globe exponentially. Every social media and news and internet site has the latest story of a family that has lost a family member. We are seeing not only that, but other kinds of social injustice rising to the surface across the globe. We're seeing protests, we're seeing violence. We're also seeing some deep compassion and community work, but sometimes that news gets hidden over top of this fear-based emphasis. And that is inherently traumatic when we're constantly exposed on a daily basis. And I don't know about you, but for me as well, the fear of the unknown And the uncertainty of it all, again, is another stress response in the body. Mm. So just like you're saying, I had dreams of, you know, getting the full uh, tenure track position at an institution um, or landing a really incredible postdoc opportunity. I'm facing the possibility that that may not be likely Mm. and more more likely than not, actually, that I won't have those opportunities the moment I'm finished. So I really do just feel like we're collectively experiencing chronic stress like never before. And for people who have already been through childhood trauma or traumatic exposure in their life, like that's a compound effect, Um that is very real for people so it makes sense to me why we might be feeling low motivation or why we might be feeling like we're not being productive or maybe we've you know become emotionally triggered somehow all of these things that are going on right now are very very common and normal given what we're collectively exposed to
0: mm-hmm. uh, I totally agree one of the things we've stopped doing or we try, to stop doing uh, that we usually do is turn on the radio on the news in the morning so we we try to go through the morning without that and then the kids go to school and then maybe we try to either read or get the news because it can can bring it can start this little stress can you know can infect you right in right at the top of your day and then just grow throughout and and uh, I love
1: I, that I love that word infect I think that's such a powerful analogy and I think you're absolutely right when we and you talked about mindfulness and when we are mindful about our body we can actually tune into when we're listening to the news, what's happening in the body. Well, for me, typically tension starts to come in. My shoulders start to come up towards my ears. I'm like breathing really shallow and feeling this general sense of anxiety. And if we're not mindful of that and we keep exposing ourselves to that, that can lead to long-term effects.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing you said that that um, that uh, I think it can be difficult today, to do is to feel this motivation you know it it can get difficult to feel motivated either because you you're you have uh, you know bl- you know um, bl- blank page syndrome I don't, I don't remember if that's the exact term but uh um you know writer's block or or because again you You need to start something new, but there's so much unknown that another unknown is too much for you to to go into. I wonder whether, you know, and when I'm saying this, I'm thinking of people who who are now thinking, okay, I need to start looking for jobs. I need to maybe start trying to have uh, informational interviews with people in, in this domain that interests me. And this is all kind of a leap into the unknown in a way. And it's another unknown that piles up to to everything that, that's that's around us. And I wonder whether you have some advice, you know, or some insight on how to help yourself uh, um, diffuse some of, of these things that are that are blocking you to to allow you to to choose the ones that are productive and that that'll make you move forward and actually be able to, you know use some of your energy towards that and not be totally uh, totally frozen by, by, uh, by fear or by anxiety in a way.
1: Yeah, such a great question. And I want to start off by saying, you know, I don't profess to know how to navigate this perfectly, I will be the first to say that this has been a lot of trial and error for me and sitting with the frustration of that freeze state, so you say. Um, so I just want to start off and say, like, I'm walking this walk at the same time, too. And it's it's challenging. So my first right away off the bat thing that I would say is to really normalize that we're in the middle of a pandemic. You're not expected to be more productive or as productive as you used to be, because inherently our mind is, you know, half tuned in to what we need to do and half caught in this fear cycle of how does this end? What does this look like? What if I get COVID? What if a family member gets COVID? Um, Do I wanna get the vaccine? Is the vaccine safe? Like all of these questions um, are very real for people. So I would say just really honor that right now we're all doing the best we can. I don't believe we get up in the morning and say, I'm gonna try my worst today. I think we all (laughs) say we're gonna try our best. And some days our best means you know, making the bed and that's it. That's all you get through. Sometimes our best is more than that. But so just to honor wherever you're at is the first thing I would say. You'd said before about some strategies on how to distance yourself. And it's, it's interesting because I would honestly say the reverse is turn towards the discomfort mm-hmm. because I really believe that what we deny or resist persists for us. Um, I don't think, I think somebody had said that quote, what we resist persists. So I can't Mm -hmm. own that one. I forget who it was, maybe Tony Robbins or something. Um, (laughs) But this idea of turning towards the discomfort and not wanting to wish it away or fix it, especially as academics, we can be really hard on ourselves and say things like, oh, we should be more productive or we should know how to push through that should mentality. I would say, is a very big barrier. So to turn towards the discomfort and say, okay, I'm feeling low motivation today. I'm feeling exhausted. That's okay. What are the things that I can do today that would bring me a sense of neutrality or a sense of joy? And so one of the things I've been doing is really thinking about what makes me feel the most self-expressed. So I've had to add in some creative outlets. So I shared with you that I now lead meditations on insight timer insight timer has been a lifeline for me, this beautiful app because I love listening to meditations, but I also love sharing my own. So Mm -hmm. it's been a creative outlet for me to build a platform of some of my own meditations. So I try to do one or two a week um, in the midst of also trying to navigate my dissertation because it's (laughs) like, oh, that's giving me some time to be self-expressed and creative right now. For some people, it might be walking in nature, spending time with kids, painting, writing, just for pleasure, lots of ideas. So I would really encourage people to give themselves permission to do the things that they love to do as best they can, given the circumstances.
0: And, and it's interesting that you say that because you you said uh, just before, as, a, as academics, we can be hard on ourselves. And... It's true that the tendency, the natural tendency, at least in my experience, is if I feel that on my list of things, there's the important ones on top, and the, even though I'm not being able to be very productive at, at, you know, making them happen, I won't allow myself to do the ones that are on the bottom of the list, which, is, right. which could be playing an instrument, which could be, you know watching a tv series that just makes me feel good you know and Mm -hmm. and um and it's a tough exercise to to, totally yeah
1: and i'm sure so many people are listening right now saying oh my gosh me too (laughs) Um, i know i resonate so much with what you're saying and isn't it so interesting that we deny ourselves the things that we love the most, like you said, playing an instrument, or I love being out in nature and walking my dog, Mm -hmm. and I only get half a paragraph or a paragraph done on my dissertation, I'm like, "Mm, you don't deserve to go do that fun thing. And so I think it really is about being mindful of are you perpetuating this cycle of self sabotage almost and making your experience that much more difficult? I think let's hold sacred the things that we love to do and even if we only do them for 10 minutes that day we've still done something that's going to nourish ourselves. And and that's a hard thing to wrap your head around when you're, you know, an academic that is conditioned to progress and push out so much, you know, writing manuscripts for submission, data analysis. It can be a really hard thing to retrain the mind to give yourself permission to do the things you love, but so important.
0: Yeah, and, and you're talking about about retraining the mind, and and you know you you're talking about specialty in a way. Can you tell? Can you share the the listeners maybe a little bit of how doing something that's good for you and and go. Let's say saying okay, now I'm gonna at eleven I'll do I'll open I'll, I'll turn on the TV and do thirty minutes of yoga how how is that good for you maybe physiologically maybe neurologically why why is that why is spending time not doing that important thing that you are actually procrastinating to do how how does that bring something positive to you to your body to your mind yeah how does that charge your batteries let's say yeah.
1: <laughs> such a good question and you know when you think about the field of academia it doesn't matter what your niches or your subject matter expertise is, it's such a cognitive um, practice, right? Like we're constantly thinking, writing, cognitively processing, um, analyzing, researching. And just like I would say, you know, with nutrition, we need to eat things in moderation. We really overlook the power of bringing in other elements of our capacity. So We need to balance out cognitive overload or cognitive fatigue with body-based work. We have this incredible body that is keeping us alive and we can't forget about it. So I would say right away when we give ourselves permission to breathe a little deeper, to stretch out the body or exercise, if that's for you, we are giving ourselves a gift of calming the nervous system down you know, giving ourselves a break from the cognitive overload so that we can actually return in a more refreshed state. So it's actually helping be more productive in the long run, ironically.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But the challenge really is giving yourself permission. So I'm going to nerd out a little bit because I love <laughs> this That's science. what we are here for. <laughs> um, so in our research lab at York University, we look at measuring the neurophysiology of mindfulness meditation. So we hook participants up to an ECG um, heart machine where mm-hmm. we monitor your heart rate variability. We also have the Tobii Pro glasses that have multiple um, cameras and infrared lasers that are looking at what's happening to the pupil response. And so we'll put participants through an artificial stress task, whether it's looking at emotional images or a cognitive task um, that they have to get the right answer. Mm -hmm. So we'll put them in an artificial stress and then we will lead them through a 10 minute meditation and we're monitoring what is happening to the physiology and my own personal research i looked at um, participants who had identified as having trauma um, a trauma history and symptoms of ptsd and do they differ compared to people who don't identify as having ptsd or a mental health condition and the findings were so fascinating so What we found with heart rate variability is that individuals who had been through trauma, not surprisingly, have a reduced heart rate variability. So a health factor is having an increased variability because our heart rate is designed to adapt uh, moment to moment, given the demands we're going through. We want an adaptive heart rate variability. PTSD survivors don't. So their heart's just constantly beating at this rapid pace and unable to adapt up and down. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was significantly uh, lower than our healthy comparison group. Mm. And then the interesting thing with the eyes is that um, people with PTSD actually had a more reactive uh, pupil response to not only emotional images, but during the meditation. So they weren't able to calm uh, when our pupils dilate, we're in that sympathetic uh, fight or flight state,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, they weren't able to come out of that during okay. the meditation. And so um, it's fascinating because the pupil response is precognitive. So our pupils respond, you know, in milliseconds, fractions mm. of seconds, but our heart rate variability is also linked to our cognition. So the beliefs, the things we tell ourselves can magnify. We can think ourselves into a stress response. The eyes, not so much. They're just that that first um, sensory information. Mm-hmm. But we're seeing some pretty interesting differences. And my guess is, if we were to look at a population who is chronically stressed, for example, academics, mm-hmm. we would maybe not see as intense of a reaction like PTSD. But my guess would be we would see some differences between a typically healthy group and academics so i'm i'm really fascinated about this idea of chronic stress exposure and how it's actually impacting our body mm-hmm. not just our mind but our body
0: mm-hmm. No, it's true, and and uh, academics have all sorts of stresses. It could be funding, it could be you know managing sure. managing their team, all sorts of things that, that 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 can happen. And especially again now during times during this time of COVID, that if you're not working on projects related to COVID, maybe you know funding is is on the line. And and mm-hmm. no, I, it, it's it's super interesting. Uh, you made me think of something that I that I read about, which is. The, it's called brain heart coherence mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, what you said just made me think of that of the the, the how, how our thoughts and our, our heart rates can can be connected and it's true that if you think of something that stresses you or that the, you can bring yourself to a state of fear just because of your thoughts but but uh, like you, you actually
1: said can. you actually can the brain doesn't know the difference between a real or an imagined threat or stress.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we can literally think ourselves into a fear-based response. I'm sure many people listening have had that experience. Um, but I wanted to add too, because you talked about some of the stress with academics, but mm-hmm. you, know, you yourself being a father, you know, a lot of academics are parenting in the midst of this pandemic too. So there's another stress and worrying, I imagine, about your kid's health or your own health as you're caring for children you know, like these stress, the stress list just keeps it's growing so, right
0: now. It's true. Whenever there's a phone call, I got a couple of phone calls from school, but it, it was for paperwork. But you <laughs> you, so you see that number and you're like, okay, did something yeah. happen? Right. And, and same thing with our emails or whatever. No, no, I, I, it's totally true. Now, and
1: actually what it, you it, just did there is such a good example. When you were like, you get this phone call and you're like, oh, yeah, like, that that breath in that constriction in the body that tension if we don't give ourselves permission to somehow find a way to discharge that energy uh, that can lead to long-term impacts that can lead to you know muscle tension in the upper neck and the back that is chronic if we don't pay attention that can lead to digestion issues that can lead to chronic pain you know this is if we don't give ourselves permission so back to your original question we can't just think our way through stress we have to add in uh body-based somatic-based work to discharge the pent-up stress energy um to complete that cycle to get it out of our system Mm -hmm. And i don't think as academics we do that enough
0: (laughs) this question of having some aspect of physical activity in our routine Is even more important now that so many of us are stuck at home, working at our computer and not engaging in all the social activities we usually take part in. So if you can, go for a stroll in nature, or find an online fitness or wellness platform that works for you. As Megan said, being active will help you blow off steam and find some balance. I then talked to Megan about all the insecurity the pandemic has brought. Especially for young researchers trying to figure out their professional future. As a society, I think it's there's still a, a lot of people who do not have have any of these outlets, you know, during their day, and they may wake up stressed and they go to bed stressed, right? And yeah, and I'm and again thinking of, I'm always trying <laughs> thinking about the listeners. And, uh, you know, those who are still in graduate school, I'm sure a lot of them are now waking up stressed and going to, going to bed stressed because they really don't know what their future is going to be like. They thought they knew a couple of months ago or, you know, almost a year ago. And now everything is, is, uh, topsy turvy and it's, it's a lot of unknown and, you know, it's a lot of insecurity. So
1: and as an academic, the, the unknown is terrifying to us, right? Like, what do we spend most of our time doing is is seeking evidence and solidifying that we know. Mm -hmm. I heard this quote today, actually, so ironic, um, by, I think, Shunryu Suzuki, who says, in the mind of a beginner, the possibilities are endless. In the mind of an expert, the possibilities are few. And a practice like mindfulness for academics can feel completely foreign and we may decide almost instantaneously that, oh, that's not for me. I can't do that. Because oftentimes when you start with, you know, breath awareness or just being still and being not doing, especially for academics who we are trying to be experts in our subject matter,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it can feel really counterintuitive to what we know because we're forced to sit with some pretty difficult thoughts potentially, or our racing mind, or we view stillness as, you know, the antidote to what we need to be doing. We need mm-hmm. to progress and be productive. <laughs> so you'll never hear me say, especially the academics that mindfulness will lead to bliss and calm. In fact, I say the opposite. It's probably <laughs> going to feel really agitating, really irritating and frustrating. But that is part of the learning process of can you sit with yourself in the frustration and anchor to your breath and build the muscle of non reactivity. Mm -hmm. And that takes time. And for academics, sometimes we don't want to take that time.
0: (laughs) Well, But you know, maybe we can help them because I, I agree with you. There's two things. There's this there can be this feeling of, you know, oh, we're going into woo-woo ter- territory. You know, it's I don't know magic and uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's also this thing of how am I going to embark into this thing where I, I'm doing something and I there's going to be they're telling me there's going to be an effect that I don't know how you know what I do and the effect are connected. And yeah. uh, like you were kind of alluding to being an academic. We like to control, you know. We like to have a control. We have an experiment. We have a, a hypothesis. You know, everything has to make sense. And here, in the in this this question of, of mindfulness, let let's say let's stay with mindfulness. There is this aspect of okay, again, this these things coming from the east, you know, coming from India and trying to, you know, they're gonna next next they're gonna ask me to light up a light up a um, an incense stick, right? Right. And, but but so how how we could maybe help them is if if you could talk a little bit about how this works how why why does doing you know doing some practices to do with mindfulness help us?
1: It's true, and I you know I think you're pointing to a really real experience for many people. Um, is there's a lot of there's a lot of different approaches to mindfulness. There's no you know one size fits all. But this is why. I'm so passionate about the research I'm doing. It's because I'm trying to build the science, the neuroscience behind the practice of breath awareness, because I know as an academic, you got to get my buy-in in order to, <laughs> you know, really sink my teeth into a new area. Right. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love this work because I have personally seen transformation in myself But I also want to bring scientific evidence to the practice of breath awareness. So (laughs) that's like my bread and butter for my life really is to, you know, the most resistant people is to say, look at what's actually happening to your physiology. So what do we know about mindfulness? So I first want to define what mindfulness means to me. It's a very secular definition. It's not based on any religious belief or practice. I really do follow John Kabat-Zinn's mindfulness-based stress reduction approach where mindfulness, how I define it in my research is moment to moment awareness without judgment. And we do that by anchoring to our breath, that's it. There's no other, you know, we're not um, adding in religion or faith into this. We're making this strictly about focused attention on your breath and training your mind to come back to the breath when it starts to wander. Mm -hmm. So first off, hopefully that definition kind of alleviates the stress of, do I need to have specific beliefs or do specific things? I'm here to say, no, we don't need to do that. It's to each their own, their preference. There is some beautiful practices that do come from our Eastern philosophers, but from a research perspective, I like to stick to more of a secular practice that's Mm -hmm everyone can be involved in. And what we know in the research is that it we don't just take one breath and expect to see an outcome. Just like we went <laughs> to the gym one time, lift a weight five times and expect to see our muscles grow. We have to return to the practice and have a sense of belief that the return is slowly over time going to build um build your your mind muscle your mindfulness
0: muscle although can i just uh, interrupt you yeah sometimes one breath you know you're you're you know in my case you know your kid breaks something that is very valuable there's this neuron that says oh my god this is horrible and you get and then you take this one deep breath <sighs> and that does something Right. But but it but it's like a first step. I, I understand where you're going and I agree. Uh, uh, but 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 uh, I don't know. I just wanted to. to it's to such ch- a good
1: reminder too, because you know I'm not saying one breath and then never again return. It's like you probably have now trained yourself to okay, just take that one breath before I say anything. Um, so it is a technique that you're using. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely see what you're saying. I have a few of those too, but. Um, there's, you know, there is evidence when we breathe, especially our exhale breath. So the deeper you can exhale, the more you activate the parasympathetic nerve, which is linked through our vagus nerve. And that is directly responsible for activating a lower heart rate, lowering our blood pressure, bringing a sense of restoration, calm um, to the body. Mm -hmm. When we are stressed, we mostly inhale and we have very shallow outhales, and that's reinforcing the sympathetic fight or flight mechanism in the body which keeps us in this heightened anxiety state so focusing intentionally on a good quality exhale breath really does like from the the core from down low in the belly really does um, over time train our system to soothe And what we've seen in the literature in terms of dose response relationship is around that seven to 10 minutes um, for a a longer term effect. But I agree with you. Start with one breath, start with build from there and gradually over time, you can work up towards that, Um, especially with PTSD survivors. Focusing for 10 minutes is excruciating. So we do a lot of bite size mindfulness, like two minutes, 90 seconds. Um, you know, I'd say every attempt is a good attempt. So it doesn't matter if it's one breath or minutes of breath. The other thing, too, with our like our nasal passages, um, when we breathe in through the nose and out through the nose, there's there's nerves that innervate our nasal lining. And those are linked to our parasympathetic nervous system. So the more intensity, the more depth of breath that we can take, the more we're stimulating, again, that rest and digest calming state. So, you know, that's proven in the literature. That's not, you know, that's not me making this up this is the research that we, we base this on. So um, there's more, I can keep talking. Well No, that's, <laughs> that, that is, that.
0: that is super interesting. And uh, I, I don't think we'll have to, that already, just what you said, I think it, for me would be enough to, to, if I was skeptical to say, okay, you know, I'm going to read a couple of articles now and, and, you know, let's see, uh, let's see what may, if, if I agree or if I can, if I can uh, mm-hmm. start, you know, working with what Megan shared with me now, I've had conversations, and you probably have too, of people saying, "But I, I sit down. I've tried it. I can't. I sit down. I close my eyes, and then it's just thoughts. I, I, you know, I there's, I can't. The like, like you were saying, the silence, the the calmness, the not having, you know, not thinking about some objective, some goal, some task, is a very hard exercise. I think for some people, closing the eyes is Complicated. Is there ways to to make you know to try different uh, approaches to this that you know to, to find one that fits with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm you're bang on with that. And I know I've struggled with that as well. Sometimes it can be really overwhelming to meet yourself in your mind, and you're like, "Whoa, this is intense." So what I would say to individuals who are experiencing that is first off, you're not alone. This is a very common experience and there's something that you can do. So I would say embed the five senses somehow. So sometimes when we change our environment, like get out into nature or maybe be near a body of water, um, just the visual of where we are can bring us into that present moment a little bit easier we can also hear nature sounds or maybe you want to play some music or some relaxation sounds. That is absolutely a okay to do mm-hmm. that. Um, one of the things I like to do is have a little candle mm-hmm. uh, burning. So it's more of a focal point for me because I agree sometimes shutting my eyes and like, mm, I don't really feel up for that. So I'll have um, something in front of me. You may also want to have something in your hand, like, a rock, or um, something like a coin, or an object that maybe the, um, one of those rabbit foot keychains, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or something that's tactile that you know you can sense with the sense of touch. That can be really helpful. When we tune into the five senses, it is neurologically impossible to have an anxious thought or a worry. We, when we're in the present moment, we aren't in anxious thinking. And the best way to do that is to bring ourselves into the five senses more clearly. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, you know, enjoying your favorite coffee in the morning, like mm-hmm. really slowing it down and savoring the taste. Like that's mindfulness. Mm. Doesn't have to be, you know, cross-legged with your hands in a, <laughs> in a mudra and chanting certain things. That doesn't have to be that way. It can be, you know, connecting in nature and, savoring your meal and just, you know, slowing things down.
0: And, and would you say there's a better time of day for it or, or let's say a worse, you know, a a time of day that's not so good to try to, to try Mm -hmm. to doing some. Great question. These practices.
1: It's such a great question from my academic hat. I would say if you can embed some kind of grounding practice for yourself, the first thing in the morning, Rather than, and I'm guilty of this, rather than reaching for your phone and scrolling through the latest news feed or your social media <laughs> accounts, if you can resolve for even one minute to say, okay, I'm just going to connect with myself, breathe, um, maybe listen to some music. When you start your day off doing something for yourself, I personally think even if you have writer's block and don't get through what your to do list is, at least you've had that one. Sacred moment in the morning that you've given yourself. So I'm a big advocate for like first thing in the morning. Um, But you know I am notorious for not sleeping very well when Mm -hmm. I'm in the midst of a stressful paper manuscript. So I'll often tune into a guided meditation on Insight Timer at three o'clock in the morning. So I think there's no bad time. I would say the more you can do it. Um, A great term that academics like is dose-response relationship. So what's the dosage (laughs) that you need in order to get the response that you're looking for? So,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, and and what you just said, uh, there's another question that also, or another statement that I also hear a lot is, I don't have time for that. (laughs) And, uh, you know, how short can uh, can a practice, you know, a mindfulness practice be, let's say, in the morning? For someone who wants to start and say, "So I'm not really sure if I don't want to invest my time in this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you said it perfectly before. One breath. Like if you take one breath totally intentionally and feel the sensation of the breath going in your body and feel it going out, you have started. So it really academics don't always like to scale back sometimes, <laughs> but I would say, you know, practice that. Practice being okay with starting with one breath and build from there. Mm. Yeah.
0: Now, I, I haven't, uh, this, this idea just came up that I'm going to share with you, but I'm really happy because we've talked about the societal aspect of what we're going through. We've talked about the the science and the neuroscience behind uh, trying to find a practice that, that grounds you. And I, I love the, the term, you know, that because a lot of these things, a lot of this, this information is that's pulling at our attention left and right, it's school, news, different things, it's kind of lifting you up in a way, or lifting you up, I don't know if it's a term, but it, you're not grounded, you know, you're kind of scattered. And, uh, and th- this practice of at least starting the day, from a lower <laughs> vibration uh, you know point is is setting you up for a better day in my opinion but-
1: totally and i think about what you said about being scattered like i don't know about you but when i'm in that scattered state and i really think about how i'm showing up at work with my partner with friends with family I'm not showing up in a, in a calm and grounded state. I'm highly reactive. I might be more short. I might be, you know, less patient mm-hmm. with things. Definitely. And that is reason enough to at least think about giving this a try, because when we ground ourselves and we give ourselves permission to just take a little bit of space here between all the stress and, you know, connecting with yourself we can actually show up as a more ideal version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we forget this sometimes, but I really believe that whether it's mindful breathing or doing what you love, like playing an instrument or drawing, when we do those things, we actually help ourselves show up better mm-hmm. for the stressful tasks, if that
0: yeah. makes sense. No, I, I totally agree. And and y- you were talking about being reactive and, <laughs> uh, and it's true that, if you're less reactive uh, you can help people around you also be le- you know less reactive and more grounded and, and right. no it I, for me it's it's only it's a win-win in a way but what I what i was going to say that i didn't mention and i that i just had the idea is i was going to ask you whether you know at the end now we're reaching the end of the interview and if you would have maybe you know off the top of your mind a one minute or a two minute meditation that you could share with the listeners.
1: Sure, yeah. Why don't you do it with me? I,
0: I, I will definitely do it with you. I will follow okay. your instruction. But I, I, listeners, I this was not planned. I just had the idea. <laughs> and Megan said yes right away. So I'm, I'm super happy.
1: Amazing. I love, I love your attitude right now. You're a yes person. So <laughs> what I would invite you to do is wherever you're seated right now, just see if you can uncross your legs and place both feet on the floor. And your hands can be at your sides or in your lap or anywhere that feels comfortable for you. There's no right or wrong. If you'd like, you can close the eyes or you can just soften the gaze downwards off the tip of your nose. And we're going to do a practice that I love called figure eight breath. So in your mind's eye, you're going to visualize a figure eight, the number eight And it can be upright, it could be horizontal or diagonal. And if you find the mind is busy and you can't quite envision this, you can also draw it out on a piece of paper and even trace your finger around this shape. Okay, so a couple options there. We're going to begin to match the breath to this figure. So you'll notice with a figure eight, There's no space and there's no point. Everything's curved and rounded. So as you inhale, in your mind's eye or on your paper, just trace up one side of that figure eight with your breath. And when your in-breath reaches its end point, instead of stopping the breath, See if you can melt and roll the breath into the exhale breath. And then you're going to trace down the opposite side of that figure eight. And same thing here. When the exhale reaches its end point, instead of stopping the breath, see if you can flip and roll the breath back over, melt it back into the in-breath. And so the sensation here is no matter how subtle, the feeling of continuous movement of breath in and out of the body. And it might take a few tries and that's okay. And just like the waves of the ocean come up on the shore the shoreline doesn't get dry. There's always even a tiny bit of dampness from the waves as they leave. So the same thing holds true here in our body. And when we're stressed, our first instinct is to hold on to the breath. So this figure eight breathing pattern Reminds us to keep the breath moving in and out of the body. You can spend as much time as you'd like if it's one trace or multiple. And that's a really simple, short exercise that you can do anytime, anytime you remember it before you sit down to write your manuscript before your defense before an exam i love 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 figure eight breath there you go
0: <laughs> very good
1: what do you think
0: hey it was good it was it was interesting and and it was interesting to have this figure this eight kind of anchor my thought although I did have other thoughts going on. I yeah. could come back to the eight. So, and, and that felt, uh, yeah, it felt good. And it felt like something I can, I can train myself at.
1: Yeah. And I love how you said that because it, it really isn't about getting rid of the thoughts. They're going to be there, but you brought yourself back. You anchored to the figure and that, that's exactly what it is. That's mindfulness right there. Bringing <laughs> yourself back. So awesome!
0: You did yeah, it. Yeah, Megan. Thank you. Thank you so much for this. And uh, I think it's, it's gonna it's kind of an it's gonna be an, an Easter egg in the episode, uh, <laughs> kind of a a bonus surprise thing. Uh, um, I, anyway, I, I I'm really really happy that I had the idea and that you said yes. And uh, I think uh, this is a good starting point for for anyone who wants to start this this thing of of you know using the breath to to ground yourself to you know to calm yourself down to you know, to have to be more peaceful and to then be better at whatever you're going to do after mm-hmm. uh, and to be in a better position of either being better in your interactions with other people, but also with your projects. And, and you know, like you were saying, if you have writer's block, breathe, you know, and, and often after these practices, uh, something that was even, you know, what what they say is sometimes you can sleep and then an answer comes to you in your sleep or the next day, you you will be able to solve that problem that you had yesterday well these types of things also kind of bring this fresh Mm -hmm. new look uh, into problems and they, they can help you too
1: i love that i love that because we are giving ourselves a little bit of space from being in the thick of it and i agree sometimes those answers pop up when we've given ourselves permission to slow it down a little bit i love
0: that well megan um I hope uh, you know. I hope the listeners uh, are are enjoying this conversation and and are now more more grounded and have yeah. uh, have because the th- the cool thing about this is then you you keep kind of a physical feeling after this. It's not it's not just a mental exercise. There's there's something else, and uh, and I hope uh, the, the the listeners who have uh, given themselves themselves to the exercise can can attest to this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, now. Well, sadly, we're kind of at the end of the interview, but mm-hmm. I do want you to share with the listeners where they can find you. Kind of, we've mentioned it a little bit, but you know where they can find you, where maybe they can reach out to you, and sure. um, and yeah, uh, because I think it's uh, one of the things that I think is important with this podcast is that the listeners can reach out to the guests. I think it's it's one of the great features of of, of, sure. of this thing.
1: For sure. And, and, you know, the feelings mutual. Thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you this way and and get connected. I know it's been very isolating for me. So this has been really enjoyable. And my fellow Canadian, it's so nice to to do this Um, so people can get connected with me uh, if people are struggling with PTSD or trauma. Uh, my website is called healmytraumaimprint.com, um, And they can email me at info at Um, I'm also available at Mindful Academics, but it's um, academics spelt with an I-X instead of an I-C-S on Twitter. And Instagram is my trauma coach. And obviously on Insight Timer, if you're curious about meditations and live yoga sessions I lead all of these on the insight timer app and you can just search me up on that app so right. I'm grateful for this time today and yeah I just I wish you and your family health first and foremost and you know hopefully some new rituals and traditions as we enter a, a new kind of a holiday season so I hope you have a good holiday
0: and that's it for this episode of Papa PhD. Thanks for tuning in, happy sharing, and see you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.